Today, uh, we're going to have one last lesson from the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Next week is Transfiguration Sunday, and then it's Lent, so we'll be shifting gears. But today, we're going to be hearing Jesus' words from the latter part of the sixth chapter. It's verses 25 through 34. And as I read, I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I haven't been here long enough to figure out who of you all may be into Southern Gospel music and the Oak Ridge Boys. But some years back, uh, they recorded an old song that started off with the words, Troublesome times are here, filling men's heart with fear. And I looked up a little bit about that song, and I found out that it had actually been written way back in 1942. So that was right after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, which drug our country into World War II. And, you know, I thought, well, that makes sense that somebody wrote that song because that was troublesome times, to be sure. You know, when troublesome times come along, they can vary in specifics and degree, but every one of us experiences them. Things happen. You know, and if we've lived any time at all, we, we know too well that our circumstances and our lives can change in a heartbeat. And when we know that, when we think about it, it can and it often does lead us to some anxiety, sometimes a little more anxiety, sometimes a little bit less. And I think anxiety is no stranger to any of us that live right here and now. You know, in these post-COVID days, there's some anxiety in some places of, you know, could that sort of thing happen again? We have anxiety over national and political affairs. 
We have some anxiety over our denominational and our congregational affairs. And some of us sitting here today may have some anxiety over our family and personal concerns. In preparing for this message, I, I did a little research about anxiety, and according to somebody out there, they, they did some statistics on the things that people tended to get anxious about. Now, we we'll probably find some other list somewhere else, but this is the list I found. 40% of the things people get anxious about are things that will never happen. 30% things about the past that can't be changed. 12% things about criticism by others mostly untrue. 10% things about health which usually gets worse with stress. And then 8% is about real problems that will actually be faced. 8%. But I want you to kind of hold on to that. You didn't have to write it all down, but I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. But I want to first, you know, think about this scripture that we just heard where Jesus is speaking to the problem of anxiety. Now, I always like to put things in context. So right before this section, he had been cautioning his hearers that they needed to be more concerned about accumulating treasure in heaven than they would be about accumulating treasure here on earth. And with that, Jesus made that very blunt statement that, you know, you can't really serve both God and money. It has to be one or the other. And so to hear that would naturally have led his hearers to wonder, well, you know, if I'm not going to think about that, how, what about providing for ongoing physical needs? So Jesus speaks to that, and he gives his example about how our amazing creator feeds and clothes the, the most insignificant parts of his creation. You know, the, the birds that just fly around, and there are multitudes of them. And um, the, the lilies, the, the field grasses that bloom and then are quickly mowed down and, you know, chucked away. And, you know, he says, God cares about all of these. And so that being the case, we can be assured that if he does care for them, that he's certain to care for us because we are men and women who have been created in the very image and likeness of God. We were kind of the pinnacle of creation. And, and so God's going to care for us. And, and so Yes, Jesus' immediate meaning here is connected with what he has said about getting our priorities and aligned with God's priorities and then just letting God take care of it. And, and so, you know, so far so good with all of that. But even though that's the context, I don't think it's stretching it too far to take Jesus' caution about our becoming anxious farther than just our immediate needs for food and clothing. You know, I can stand before you today and admit that I have way more clothes in my closet and my dresser drawers than I really need. 
And when it comes to food, there's quite a bit of food stocked away in the pantry and in the freezer. And if the grocery closed tomorrow, it would be quite a while before I would starve. You know, I read this and I, I don't really worry about food and clothing. And I suspect that may be the case for many of you as well. But yet we have things we get anxious about. And many people, and, and even very devout Christian people, do struggle with anxiety. I have a, a good friend, a, a dear and committed Christian woman, loves Jesus, wants to follow him with her whole heart, and does, and yet she has this ongoing battle with anxiety, and she's always struggling with the what-ifs. You know, even if it's Christmas coming and the children and the grandchildren are going to be there, it's, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? Maybe it won't go well. And it's such a shame because a great deal of her joy and her peace are robbed from, this, from her by this rather crippling anxiety, and it makes me sad for her. And I want to just put a little parenthesis here and now. I think that in certain situations, Christians may benefit from appropriate medication and therapy. And so I am in no way speaking against those things. But what I do want to do today is what I want to speak to in these few minutes are the way that Jesus himself can meet us in our times of anxiety and suggest a few ways that maybe anxiety can have a little bit less of a grip on us. You know, like most of our human problems, I think we can trace a whole lot of the anxiety problem all the way back to the Garden of Eden and what happened there. You know, we all remember Adam and Eve were not satisfied to trust God and to be content with what it was that God had given. No, they wanted to be like God, and they reached for knowledge, and they reached for control. And all the way since then up to the present day, Humans are still reaching for knowledge and control. We have this tendency that we want to figure out everything out. You know, why did this happen? And what's going to be then? And, and, and sometimes we even want to figure out the mind of God. And, you know, that really doesn't make too much sense when you stop and think about it because God's ways are so far above our ways. His mind is so much greater than anything that's in my head. But, but we have this tendency to want to figure things out, and many of us love having some sense of control. Now, I realize that this desire for control can vary in intensity. Sometimes, you know, we all know people who are a little bit of a more laid-back disposition, and um, we probably know at least one person who we would describe as being a control freak. And some of us here today might even, if we were honest, have to admit to being the control freak. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Um, but, you know, I think nobody, even those who are of a more laid-back disposition, nobody really enjoys the feeling when life just seems to be whirling 
ever more out of control. And so when that happens, we tend to get anxious because we can't figure it out. But it's not surprising that we can't figure it out because we are not God. And there are so many things we can't control. Earthquakes and windstorms and flash floods happen. Businesses go bankrupt or a longtime owner dies and there's no one left who wants to carry it on. And so employees found themselves out of a job. And no matter how careful a person may try to be, accidents and serious illness are part of the human story. We all live in this fallen and broken world amid a bunch of fallen and broken people. And none of us are really in control. When good old COVID-19 came along three years ago, many things came, changed very quickly and it was kind of a slap in the face of how not in control people could be. And so this fallen part of our human DNA that wants to be like God and have everything figured out and to make everything work along just nicely, it's not going to happen. But given that fact, we get anxious. And Jesus comes along here and he says to these people, don't worry about tomorrow. He says the same thing to us. And echoing him, the Apostle Paul, who was in prison when he wrote it, wrote to his friends and said, don't be anxious about anything. But how do we do that? Now it's tempting to give you the simplistic Sunday school answer and just say, well, you just have to learn to trust. Which is true enough, but it sounds like a little bit of a cop-out. So, you know, I'm probably going to go over time a little bit, but so be it. Uh, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. And we're going to go back and look at these things that somebody said were the basic causes of anxiety, the primary causes of anxiety, and see how Jesus speaks to them. Now the biggie, 40%, things that will never happen. None of us knows the what the future is going to hold for us and for the people we love. And we all know that bad things really do happen to good people. If you watch the news at all, you know that there was that horrific earthquake in Turkey and Syria recently. And when we hear that, we can and we should grieve for the lives that were lost. And if we're in any position to offer some sort of physical assistance, you know, God will bless us for that. But that's not the only place earthquakes happen. We here in Kentucky live close to this place, um, this thing called the, the New Madrid Fault. Have you ever studied earth science in high school? You probably learned about it. And, you know, it's, it's ripe for an earthquake. And throughout my lifetime, I've heard again and again that, you know, someday the big one's going to hit. And maybe it will. 
And it might even happen before God calls me home to be with him. But you know, my friends, if I spend my time sitting around and fretting about if and when the new bad fault goes to pieces, it doesn't going to really make any difference to whether it does or it doesn't. It's not up to my fretting and getting anxious. If it should happen in my lifetime, and I live on a river town, I realize that, I just trust that the Lord will not leave me or forsake me during that sort of a tragedy, just as he has never left me or forsaken me through all the various troubles and griefs and disappointments that have been part of my journey over the last 69 years. My mother was a wise and an immensely practical woman. And when I would get anxious and fretful at times, she would remind me that there is an enemy of my soul who just loves to rob me of my joy. And that's what happens when any of us become anxious over things that maybe won't even happen. But then 30% of our problems come from things about the past that can't be changed. You're going to hear it from me all the time. We are fallen people. We've had other people do things to us that hurt us. We've done things ourselves that were unwise or maybe unkind or maybe just plain dumb. But you know, the good news of the gospel is that no matter what the situation is, we are invited to repentance and redemption and forgiveness. And God is there offering us forgiveness for our own failures, and he instructs us to offer forgiveness to those who have wronged us because he knows that unforgiveness eats away at the soul of the person who holds a grudge and refuses to forgive. But sometimes the person we need to forgive is ourselves. And if we can't forgive ourselves, we've got kind of a double whammy of the problem. You know, we did whatever we did, and then we're holding the grudge against ourselves. But our God is a loving and redemptive God. I have a very dear friend from my seminary days who is now a Presbyterian pastor in another state. And she loves golden retriever dogs, and she has had a series of them over her lifetime. And like me, she would sometimes take the dog to the church office with her for part of the day. Well, several years ago, it was a hot summer day. Her usual schedule had been disrupted. She was distracted by some very concerning pastoral matters. She got to church, and the dog was inadvertently left in the car until she returned hours later. And you can imagine the outcome. And my friend was devastated and horrified. 
It was her fault. She had to admit it was her fault, and it was something that could not be undone. It was very hard for her. But interestingly, the year before, she and I had been on vacation together, and while we were walking one day, we had encountered a lady with a retriever in kind of an unusual color. It was very, almost white. It was called English cream. And my friend had been very taken with the dog. You know, it was a retriever, and it was beautiful. But English creams, because they're unusual, tend to be quite expensive. But a couple of months after this tragedy, where by her own fault, the dog was gone, she was visiting friends in another state, and they were going to go pick up a puppy, and they said, come with us. Well, there was a litter of English cream retrievers. There was still a puppy available. And the price was affordable because there had been some complication in the registration process, and although they were purebred, they couldn't be sold as such. She's had that dog for about nine years now, and let me tell you, he's had a very good life. But you know, I love thinking about that story because it reminds me of God's redemptive love. He took this horrible situation for her, and she had messed up royally. But God's saying, I'm still going to bless you. Yeah, you really did it bad, but I'm going to bless you. And I think God invites all of us to let him redeem the past and all of our regrets, whatever they are, you know, Corey Ten Boom is a woman who lived through a Nazi concentration camp, and she said something I love. She said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Well, let's go on. 12% anxiety about criticism from others, mostly untrue. Now, Face it, occasionally criticism is warranted, and I think when criticism comes our way, every one of us should be mature enough to pause and consider, is it justified, and, and allow it to be a teachable moment for us. You know, if I consider myself above rebuke or correction, I've got a serious problem. But on the other hand, when we become overly anxious about what somebody else will think or might think or does think, we can quickly devolve into just being people pleasers. And I do think that that, that tendency may have increased with the rise of social media in recent years. Because, um, you know, nobody wants to be belittled or to be canceled by others. But when we face criticism, I think what's important is for us to remember, and I think what our Heavenly Father would have us to remember, is that he has named us beloved. You, each one of you, are a beloved child of God, and he never takes that away. And yes, we may disappoint him at times, but we never stop being his beloved children. 
And I think when we focus on that and seek to please him above all else, we don't need to spend so much time letting the opinions of others cause us anxiety. And then 10% of the anxiety comes from worrying about health, and, and then stress only, the anxiety makes it worse. And yes, our bodies can fail us. We are grieving today um, the deaths of some members of this congregation. And the bodies of people we dearly love can fail them. And none of us ever wants to hear a difficult diagnosis. And I'll never forget the day when standing in my kitchen at 8.20 in the morning with my phone to my ear because it was still the day of landlines, I heard this voice on the other end, well, Rebecca, this is Dr. So-and-so at the Brown Cancer Center, and it's what we thought. You have cancer, so you need to be thinking what it is that you want to do if you want us to help you here or not, and if you do, just let us know. Goodbye. That was about it. Bless her heart, she wasn't much on the bedside manner, and I hope she's improved. But you know, all the worry in the war world would not have kept me from getting that cancer diagnosis. And all the worry in the world won't keep me from getting some other diagnosis. And if worry over health, which can be very real, is something that you experience, and, and this is a, a, an anxiety problem for you, let me suggest that you not only read Psalm 139, but that you commit at least parts of it to memory. Because among other things it says to the Lord, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He knows every one of my days. He knows every one of yours. He's not surprised. And then last but not least, the real problems that we face, 8%. There are real problems. We encounter them, and sometimes they loom before us in a mighty way. But when those moments come, we need to remember that our God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And here I would point you to Isaiah 41, where we find his word to his people. He says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And if that's not enough for you, turn the page to Isaiah 43, where he says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God doesn't say that you won't ever experience the waters, the rivers, the fires. You may. But he says, I'm going to be right there in the middle of it with you. 
I think that says everything that we need to hear when we go through those trying times that give us that sickening feeling in the pit of our stomach. Yes, we live in a fallen, broken world. And it's not surprising that because of that, we have this human tendency to anxiety. When that happens, one of the best antidotes for us is to go back to Scripture, recall the promises of God, recall God's loving grace. I love the way that Eugene Peterson expresses the final verse that I read from today's scripture in his translation, The Message. He says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. And to that I say, Amen and amen.